I love the solemnness that we've been able to celebrate this, the uh, crucifixion of our Lord this morning. A time of reflection, every time singing songs and looking at the word, particularly the fact that you know, it didn't take God by surprise, this idea of the crucifixion. But in reflection of everything we've sung and everything we've read, there's been a lot about the cross, obviously. But the question is, we, as we read that, as you sang, as you read, what does the cross mean to you? That's the question that I want to ask this morning. And I ask that question, what, <coughs> excuse me, what does the cross mean to you? I ask it because your answer will mean life and death. And so all the way through this morning, I want, I want you to think of what does the cross mean to me? <clears throat> On one hand, it means a life lived in eternity with God. On the other hand, it's a life lived in eternity without God in the lake of fire. There's only two choices that you have to do with the cross. Either you just wear it as a fashion accessory, maybe of gold or silver or some are made of wood. Some crosses you see with Jesus still on the cross. And the people who wear them in the majority blissfully go on their way without any idea, without the vaguest idea or understanding of the meaning that they have hanging around their neck. Our culture is losing the understanding of what the cross means. And that's why, again, I asked that question this morning, what does the cross mean to you? There was a minister who surveyed 100 members of different congregations regarding what the difference in the cross made to them. This was the question. Would it have, would it have made any difference to your life as you are now living it if Christ had not died on the cross. Of the 100 surveyed, 45 said they didn't think so. 25 said they thought so, but didn't really understand. 20 responded that Jesus' death on the cross made all the difference in what they believed and how they lived. And finally, 10 said they never really comprehended what the cross was all about, so they just didn't know what the cross meant to them. All members of Christian congregations, but only 20% apparently understood the real significance of the cross of Christ to them. And so again, I ask, what does the cross mean to you? Where do you fit in your understanding of the cross this morning? One hand, eternal life with God. The other hand, eternal life without God. No sitting on the fence. You're either here or you're here. No grey areas. The Bible doesn't show any grey areas. Either you accept the cross or you don't. The only way to find out the real meaning of the cross is go to the Word of God. That's where we will find the real significance of the cross. So we must go to the Word. Pete has read the Word for us, so if you'd like to open up these pages, 
I'm not going to exegete this passage. I'm going to use it to bring out some points, to paint a picture for you. If you want to know what the cross means, if you want to know how it impacts your daily living, then let's look at the, let's look at the scriptures. And I want to paint four different aspects or pictures for you of the cross. They are the priority of the cross, the purpose of the cross, the pain of the cross and the power of the cross. Four Ps. I'm no good at alliterations. I had to get that from somewhere else. I would have taken me all the time just to work out what those Ps are. The priority, the purpose, the pain and the power. You see, some people see the crucifixion of Jesus as some kind of unfortunate ending to a very promising career. Others see it as a miscarriage of justice. They shouldn't have done it. Others see it as a grand, grand instance of martyrdom, that Jesus was a, a great martyr, a great teacher, and he was a martyr for his convictions. But Jesus' death on the cross was neither unfortunate or unforeseen nor unexpected. And Pete has taken you all the way through, much more than I could have had time to do, to understand that the Old Testament always pointed to Jesus Christ. It's no accident that in our scripture that Pete read, in verse 28 of Mark 15, it says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And then you had all those others that you've been reading this morning. He was numbered with the transgressors. Where does that go back to? Well, we actually read it. Isaiah 53:12. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. We've already seen this morning that the Old Testament is full of prophecies concerning the death of Jesus Christ. The cross was no accident. I want you to get that out of your mind. It was not unfortunate. It was the plan of God from eternity past. It was the priority of God from eternity past. From before the foundation of the world, God knew about the cross. Understand that. Before creation, God knew about the cross. You see, when God created man, in that one creative event, he also ordained the cross for himself. By creating us, he ordained his death. I suppose he could have avoided it. The choice was God's. It was always with God. All God had to do was forget about the creation of man and all that pain would never have existed. But God knew full well what was going to happen. And he did create us. He created everything. And you know what this tells me? It tells me a great deal about the nature of God. That he would create us knowing that he had to die it shows his love for you and I. 
God chose suffering for himself and eternal life for us way back before the foundation of the world. You see, God the Son came to earth to die on Calvary. And he came knowing what lay ahead of him. He knew full well what he was here for. He was doing the will of the Father. He knew what he was doing and he knew where he was going. You might remember only hours before his crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, our Lord prayed in agony concerning the crucifixion, concerning what he was going to go through. He knew what the cross was going to hold for him, but he also knew that it was the only way that God's purpose of salvation for us could be fulfilled. There was no other way. And Christ agonised sweats, droplets of blood as sweat because he knew that this is the only way that God could reconcile man to himself. Which actually opens up a good question to us. Why does God, or why does mankind, sorry, need salvation? Why do you and I need salvation? It brings to the the idea, what is the purpose of the cross? Let me tell you very briefly. The scripture tells us in Romans 3.23 that all of us have sinned and that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. What that simply means, and you can simply put it, it means we have missed the mark of God's glory. We cannot live or attain to the glory that God desires. And sin simply means we have missed that mark. We cannot meet God's standard for living. We are sinners by nature and by choice. And so all of us have sinned and all of us shall fall short of God's glory. The Bible also reveals in Romans 6.23 that the wages of that standard, the wages of missing that mark, of missing God's standard, is death. So all have sinned, all have fallen shorty, short of the glory of God, and we all die. We all should die because of it. In other words, if we were made to pay for our sins, which we deserve, then our destiny would be to spend an eternity separated from God because he could not be in our presence. And the Bible calls that the lake of fire. And so the judgment of a holy and pure God rests upon all of us. And not just in this room, I mean all mankind. His judgment and his purity rests upon all of us, but all have sinned and all will die. And that's exactly the purpose that Jesus came. Because the horror of sin could only be remedied by the sinless Son of God dying in our place. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5 verse 6. Let's see what the Apostle Paul wrote about this. Romans chapter 5 verse 6.
Romans 5 verse 6, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. I'll stop there. Who are the ungodly? All of us. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare to even die, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we, all of us, were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Have you heard the story of the judge whose son appeared before him on a drink driving charge? Because the father had sworn to uphold the justice uh, as a judge, the father behind the bench had to find his son guilty. And then the father imposed the heaviest fine allowed under the law. But then the father immediately stepped down from his chair and paid the fine from his own pocket. Now that's probably an inadequate and a tiny glimpse of what God has done for us. He is unable to declare us innocent under the law because we are guilty under the law. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And so God pronounces us as guilty. And he imposes the full penalty of the law, which is death. So God, our judge, has pronounced guilty and he's pronounced the sentence, you are separated from me for eternity. But what did God do? Well, he stepped down from heaven as God the Son in the person of Jesus Christ and then our Lord Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, went to the cross and paid the penalty for us. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The cross was a top priority for Jesus Christ because without it, the penalty for our sin could never be paid. What was the penalty for our sin? Death. Separation from God. And that's where we would be going. We're destined for the lake of fire. Another picture I want to talk about is the pain of the cross. Verse 22 of our text, going back to, to Mark, says that Jesus was led out and they crucified him. And on a hill called Golgotha, they killed him. Now, crucifixion was an extremely painful way to die, but I don't want to go into the physical pain because as horrendous as it was, all people that were executed in this way suffered the same physical pain. So focusing on the pain of the cross physically was no different than anyone else. But our Lord did suffer horrific pain. You see, the agony Jesus Christ suffered on the cross was more than physical. 
The scripture reveals that surrounding him were people cruelly mocking him. We've already read it, but look at uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 29. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. The end of that verse tells us that even the two thieves crucified with him were insulting him. What a picture, the Lord on the cross, the two thieves insulting him, everyone in front of him insulting him, wagging his head, spitting at him. The pain of the crucifixion was heaped upon by abuse, all aimed at the one and only person who had never had an evil thought in his life, who had never committed a single sin, and who was pure and spotless. But the pain of the cross extends even further. Look at verses 33 and 34. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lamach sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you see what's happening here? It's not enough that his body was racked with physical pain. It's not enough that insult upon insult was being heaped upon him. Now, God the Father had turned his face from his only son and abandoned him. He abandoned him. Why? Why does God the Father abandon God the Son? Because our Lord Jesus Christ at that time was bearing the curse. He was bearing God's judgment of the sin of all mankind. Jesus Christ, God's only Son, experienced the immeasurable horror of separation from his Father who cannot look upon sin. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 3 says, you are, purer, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness as he spoke of God. So as Jesus Christ hung on that cross in dying for sinners, God the Son experienced separation from God the Father. Can you even imagine what that meant to Jesus Christ? He had always been one with God. There had never been a time in all eternity that never one instant, not one billionth of a second when the Father and the Son had not been in unity. From eternity past, God the Son had enjoyed perfect and unbroken communion with His Father. A wonderful relationship. But now... Because he had taken our place on the cross, because he had borne in his own body the sin of all mankind, God the Father, too holy, 
too pure to even look upon his son. And he turned his countenance of his glory away from him. The pain, the, the agony. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you deserted me? Why have you forsaken me? The worst pain of all. I imagine the pain of the cross and the pain of the abuse just pales into insignificance. He was cut off from the one who he had never been cut off from before. And he was abandoned. On the cross, abandoned. And the love of God for us put him there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And you know what else? The love of our Lord Jesus Christ kept him there. Jesus could have called 10,000 angels to come and take him down from the cross. But because of his love for us, he endured the cross despising the shame for us. Why did he do that? Why? Because of the, another picture of the cross is because the power that is involved in the cross. Why did he stay there? Why did he endure the, the shame? Because of the power. You see, when Jesus breathed his last, an amazing thing happened. Verse 38 records what happened. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. We can just let that slide sometimes, but that is the power of the cross. This mag magnificent, big, thick curtain torn from the top to the bottom as Jesus breathed his last. And on that hill called Golgotha outside of Jerusalem, back inside the walls of that city, the veil separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn in two. Torn from top to bottom by God himself. You see, that veil was there to separate the Holy of Holies from people. The only time that anyone could go into the Holy of Holies was once a year. And then it was a fearful thing. The priest had to cleanse himself. He had to go through a ritual. He had to sacrifice for himself to signify his cleanliness. And he had to go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies. And they would tie a rope around his leg in case he fainted and no one could go in and get him and they could just pull him out. I think they had a bell they could ring. It was holy. No one could go into the presence of God except this priest once a year. The veil had separated man from God, but now through the death of Jesus Christ, Jesus had opened up for the world a new and living way because that curtain was torn and now we have the ability to come into the presence of God through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Jesus had said not more than 12 to 15 hours before this time in John 14, 6, he told them on that same day he was crucified, I am the way, the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. So the power of the cross makes it possible for all of us to deal directly with God. There's power in the cross of Jesus Christ, power to set us free from our sin. You see, that's the human problem. Sin. It's your problem, it's my problem. It separated us from God and it makes it impossible for us to enter heaven. All sin does that. Nothing impure, nothing defiled, nothing unholy can ever enter God's heaven. And so there's no way that I can go to be there with Him. There's no way you can go to be there with Him in your own self. The only way that you and I can go to heaven is is if my sin is removed. And removing sin and its effects from a human heart is roughly the same as trying to get toothpaste back into the tube. It doesn't happen. You can, sin cannot be removed from you. Let me tell you that right now. Sin cannot be removed. But fortunately for me and for you, the cross tells us how our sin problem is overcome. You see, we don't have to fix things. We say amen to that. For God has taken the initiative and he's fixed them for us in Christ. Our problem has been taken care of in full at the cross. You see, our sins are not removed. What they have been is paid for. Jesus has done everything everything necessary to make us new creations before God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away, behold, new things have come. In verse 21 of that same chapter, he made him, that's Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God. How? In Him, in Christ. There is no other way to be righteous before God except in Him, in Christ. The power of God was unleashed to break down every obstacle between God and man. And the way has been opened. Your debt has been paid for. The free gift of grace is now offered to all through the power of the cross. Every person, every created, has now been offered this free gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. And so this free gift of grace is offered to you and I this morning. Maybe you've never accepted it. Because even though salvation is a free gift from God, If you don't accept that gift, then the salvation that God offers you will not be yours. You will remain in your sin if you never accept the free gift of grace from God. It's like receiving a present at Christmas time. You know, you receive it from under the tree and you just put it aside. You say, oh, that's a nice present, lovely wrap. Looks really good. 
has great potential. I understand what the gift is. I understand it is a gift, but I'll just leave it there. I won't open it. If you don't open that gift, you don't receive that gift. If you don't open it up inside and understand and accept that gift to your heart, then it's just a a box with wrapping around it. The same as Jesus Christ. If you don't accept him as your saviour, then it's just a lovely story. You might even think and understand you believe it in your head. Yes, I believe that. But if you open the gift to bring it down to your heart, so that you truly are born again. What does the cross mean to you? Have you accepted the free gift of salvation that Christ, being separated from his Father, being abandoned by his Father, has given you? As you sit here this morning, maybe the cross is just an historical event that happened 2,000 years ago. Maybe you don't believe it at all. Maybe it's just a sentimental story that you heard in Sunday school. Maybe it's it's no more than an ornament that you're wearing around your neck. I'm just wondering if you have seen now what Jesus Christ did for you at the cross. Mark 15.39, the last verse that Pete read for us, tells us that at the foot of the cross throughout all that this was happening was a Roman centurion. Now I'm sure that he witnessed many crucifixions. There were usually a a centurion or a group of them given to crucifixion duty. No doubt he had witnessed many, but this one was different to him. He was looking at the Saviour dying there for the sins of mankind. This centurion had seen something which he had never seen in any other man that had hung before him. I don't know what he saw because it doesn't tell us. Maybe he saw the peace in the midst of torture. Perhaps he saw the love of God in the eyes of Jesus Christ. Maybe he saw this man being crucified but not struggling to be free. But even in the time of sheer torment, he was, the Lord was thinking of others. He said to John, his disciples, that he should take care of his mother. Even as Jesus hung there, these words came from his mouth. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And at last, feeling the unimaginable pain of being abandoned by his father, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he died. Mark 39, 15, 39 says, When the centurion who stood opposite him saw that, he cried out like this and breathed his last. He said, Truly this man was the Son of God. What does the cross mean to you this morning? Our Lord Jesus Christ transformed this ugly, cruel, shameful thing called, called the cross into a symbol that is of beauty and hope and peace and most of all, love. And he can do that transformation with the same thing with your heart. If only you'll accept that gift of salvation and let him in. Don't leave it like an abandoned 
Christmas gift. All you have to do is receive him. You don't have to fix yourself. You can't fix yourself. All you do is receive him. Open the gift that has been given to you and Jesus will receive you. There's a song we're going to sing and I'm going to read the words to you. My Lord, what love is this that pays so dearly that I, the guilty one, may go free. And so they watched him die, despised, rejected, but oh, the blood he shed flowed for me. And now this love of Christ shall flow like rivers. Come wash your guilt away. Live again. Amazing love. Oh, what sacrifice. The Son of God given for me. My debt he pays. And my death he dies. That I might live. Just invite Pete up and we'll sing that song, hopefully as a song of reflection on what you've heard. If you need to accept the gift of salvation, if you need to (coughs) and have never opened that gift and you might know about the cross, you might even believe it. But if you've never accepted what Jesus Christ did on that cross for you, then it is just a story to you. You must open the gift, receive it by grace, through faith.